nationwide response to the murder of our brother George Floyd kind of takes on a different tone that when you grew up in a time and we knew that we as people of color, we as black people, fought for our civil rights and we've read the history books and we've seen injustice. Uh, some of us who weren't old enough to live through the civil rights movement, we've seen injustices happen and we've seen pockets of rage explode here and there over the course of the years. It always have been localized. But the phenomenon that we have witnessed over these past few days of a complete nationwide eruption over a singular event is unique in my lifetime. The fact that if you had seen other news coverage that around the world there were people taking parts in protests, expressing their pain at the murder of this man, state-sanctioned murder of this man. And I think what set this apart, even though we have seen black men killed by police, the fact that we saw this entirely on video that he was still alive while the murderer had his knee on his neck and we saw it till the end when the life left him and it's hard to not have a lasting impression an indelible mark on the soul of those who have watched that who have witnessed it and particularly for those of us who experience it but we have to continue on and we continue to pray for our nation we continue to pray for the soul of this nation and we pray for its inhabitants and the people that the hate and violence that has existed from day one will be taken away will be cut out like a cancer removed from its existence. But the one thing we do know is that as long as we have the enemy, there will always be turmoil. As we begin this day, let us take heart in knowing that we serve a God who is a good God. And that even when things seem out of control, he is still in control. But we'll, we'll get more into that as we, as we move forward. I'd, I'd like to welcome everybody and I pray that we find some peace. Uh, whether it is in our homes, whether it is in ourselves, uh, whatever we do today that we find some peace. And so God, we come to you this day after living a life and experience some of the things that are going on, the, the realization for a lot of people of the hate that exists in this world, the first time a lot of people were exposed face to face with the hatred and evil that permeates the underbelly of this nation. Lord, we pray for those who lost their lives to this hate. We pray for those who are out there on the streets. We pray for order to be restored.
But more than that, we pray that people will wake up and get the message that this, this, I'm tired of hearing about racism cry will be extinguished because we're tired of living with racism. We want those who are uncomfortable will ease into their discomfort that we can have real discussions about reform, about police brutality, against systematic oppression against people of color and particularly black people. Lord, we ask that the spirit of your, your Holy Spirit, the spirit of your son, Jesus Christ, begin to take hold and take root in this nation in a way that it has never been done before. Oh, we know what they say, that this is a Christian nation, but God, we also know that this nation is far from a godly nation. There is no Christ in the United States, and God, we ask that your presence be made known, that you interject yourself into this worldly affair, that people's hearts and minds will be changed, that we can see a move of your spirit in this place sweep across from coast to coast, that lives will be changed. Not just change that we just continue to live in the same way that we will live in a way that is pleasing to you. That we will uplift and build the kingdom. That we will somehow coalesce and fight against racism and hatred. Help us God, your people. We love you and we bless you. In your son Jesus Christ's name we do pray and believe. Amen. Amen my, my people. This uh, whole thing with George Floyd has really taken a toll on me, and, and you know what? I'm gonna stay on on task. I'm gonna stay on task. Uh, we don't have a traditional offering period as we moved into the shelter in place, uh, but I do ask that you do consider to support our ministry, Road to Damascus Church. You can go to our website www.r2dchurch.org that's r the number two dchurch.org and go to the give tab that'll take you to paypal uh, which you can make the donation to paypal and uh, if you weren't available last week we know that paypal had been giving us some problems but now our account has been restored so if paypal is your choice to sow a seed use paypal uh, we also have Cash App available uh, with the dollar sign R2D Church. Uh, and, and it's a critical because someone texts me they have been trying to donate to the church, uh, but they forgot to use the dollar sign. So if you're on Cash App, you use the dollar sign R2D Church. And we ask that you support our ministry uh, because, as I announced last week, that we were uh, had selected the recipients of our first annual scholarship to graduating uh, high school seniors going to college and the list of the recipients uh, that will be receiving the $1,000 from Road to Damascus uh, uh, are shown on your screen uh, and what it is is or what we were planning to do when we first set this out is that we were going to bring them in or part of the, the qualifications for winning the award was also to show up at our church for service and we had set that date for June 14th. Of course, we weren't aware that there was going to be a thing called coronavirus and COVID-19 that will prohibit uh, the church or any church from being able to gather and worship together. Uh, so we, the committee, uh, we talked, or uh, let me rephrase that. I won't just lump the entire committee. I had spoken to my daughter, uh, who is the chair of the scholarship committee, 
uh, about potentially delaying uh, the service until we get to a place where we can have corporate worship the way we would want to have corporate worship. But I'm starting to believe that even when they lift the, the restrictions, that it might not necessarily be a good thing to do, and we probably won't be able to do it. So what we're thinking about doing is, uh, or what we're going to do, not thinking about, what we're going to do is have them participate as we have our normal service virtually. We will have them on on Zoom, uh, so we will be able to at least get to see these people in person who they are and, and spend five minutes at, at most uh, talking about themselves and what they plan to do uh, with that scholarship money uh, going to college, which we know they are very appreciative of because college is expensive. So we'll set that date uh, that we're going to have the virtual participation of our scholarship recipients uh, so that you all can see directly the people who we are impacting, the people who we are helping and the next generation of leaders who are coming out and being educating themselves that are going to make an impact in this world. Amen? Amen. All right, so as we get into today, uh, I had planned to originally continue where we left off last week with the uh, finished sermon uh, dealing with pride, uh, but I really felt in my spirit that it would be irresponsible for me uh, to not address from a scriptural sense the feelings and what's been happening in America uh, over the last week. But even with that, it has been a struggle. I have no idea how this sermon is going to flow. It was something that I, I struggled with, and I mean, I struggled with this up until 2 a.m. Uh, this morning when I just had to close my computer and just say, I leave it in your hands, God. Uh, so I, I struggle because this is difficult to deal with, and I struggle because I, like you, or I, like many of you, struggle with the the passion that we feel inside, the, the rage that may exist because of the feeling of helplessness that we might have in situations like this, the, the fact that we have been seeing this play out time and time again over the course of our lives, the, uh, the news conferences and the, the feeds on the social media of people uh, angry and upset, but they're not angry and upset because George Floyd died. What they're angry about is the people who are angry. There's nothing more frustrating than to be in a disagreement with someone and you have been wronged and your response to being wrong is anger and then have the person who wronged you be mad at you because you're angry. You're mad at me because I, my response to your insensitivity is anger, so now you're mad at me for being mad at you. And we see this playing out in social media that these people are mad and angry at the reaction of the people who are actually hurt. We, it, it reminded me of a conversation I had with a couple of colleagues who happen to be on the conservative side, the way conservative side of life, and he was lamenting about the fact that when, uh, as he said, when, when you guys protest, there always seems to be issues, but when we protest, 
we don't do anything. And I had to tell him and point out, just as we saw in, in Michigan several weeks ago, that when you, as he put it, showed up for a protest, the police did not respond in any kind of way, even though they showed up with uh, semi-automatic weapons and, uh, and took over, seized a government building. That was a criminal act. Uh, those of you who do not know about gun laws, or I'm a gun enthusiast and I am a staunch supporter of the Second Amendment and believe that people should have the right to carry guns, including, I mean, or especially for black people. That this notion that we're going to leave our protection in the hands of those who abuse us doesn't equate in my mind. Uh, but these people showed up and took over a government building and according to any conceal and carry law, an open and carry law across the United States, you can conceal and carry, you can open and carry where it is allowed in those states, but there, is, uh, there are several places that you cannot bring a loaded firearm. And one of those is a school and the other is a government building. When I resided in Texas and I had my carry and uh, conceal permit, it is very clear that if you step inside a post office with your gun concealed, you have committed a felony punishable by a fine and prison time. So these people who showed up in Michigan and lay siege to a government building broke the law in a major, major way. But we saw the police response to that action. They stood by casually, showed an incredible amount of restraint. We've seen photo after photo of not only were they just standing there over and seizing, uh, laying siege to the building, uh, but some of them even got in the face threatening the police. But yet not one tear gas canister was deployed, not one rubber bullet was fired. But you fast forward a couple of weeks and we see a man who had a knee on his neck and the life extinguished from him. And the angry people show up with no arms, no firearms, just marching in the street. And what they were met with, uh, well, let me rephrase that. They show up to protest police violence and then are met with police violence. Tear gas being deployed, rubber bullets being fired, pepper spray being shot out of cannons at people. And then wonder why angry people then respond in a violent way. Violence begets violence. Or better yet, what Paul wrote in Galatians, do not be deceived whatsoever a man sows that he will also reap. If you sow in violence, you will reap in violence. Those words that Malcolm X said many years ago that got him in trouble, that these are the chickens coming home to roost, could not be more appropriate. When you send your chickens out in hate and violence, when they come back home to roost, they are bringing hate and violence. So I struggled with this to make some kind of sense of this because there is a part of me that realizes that I still hold on to a lot of anger and rage. As well as you do, some of you do. I'm not perfect, I'm still human, I feel pain. 
and because I feel this rage sometimes, it causes me to re to react in a way that is not always godly. It is hard to walk in the spirit of God 24 hours a day. I'm not like uh, like uh, Pastor Mike said on on back, uh, behind the pulpit a couple of weeks ago that I'm not walking around floating on the Holy Spirit. And there's the other side that says you're a godly man and you have to put forth a godly message. And I struggle with that. It is literally a struggle between the flesh and the spirit on doing what is supposed to be right. So I go to Ecclesiastes, a book of the Bible that is uh, widely believed to have been written by the wisest man who ever lived, the son of David, King Solomon. And in this chapter of Ecclesiastes, he, he writes a list of all these things that occur in the world. There's a time to love and a time to hate, a time to weeping or for joy and a time to mourn. And he ends this little section of the passage with these words we find in verse 8. There is a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. I, f I found it interesting that the wisest man who ever lived said there is a time of war before there is peace. That in, in essence, that before you get to peace, there has to be war. Or doesn't have to be, but it seems in the nature of human beings that war is going to come before there is peace. And so I want to use for a theme this morning, war and peace. Very simply, war and peace. We, we know those words, war and peace, because they were uh, written, or as a title of a novel, written by the Russian author Leo Tolstoy about the French invasion of Russia. And he writes this very compelling story of, of real life, of what it was like to have the, it was Napoleon was the, the king of, uh, or the military leader of France, and he is laying siege to Russia, and what it is like to live in that time, and to, to, uh, to live and to, to exist in a time of war and peace. And it's interesting that we as, as people, we as black people in America, we, we live in this, this, this interesting, this dichotomy of life that there is war and there is peace. And we see war all around us and we think we see peace all around us as well. We, you heard me earlier when I talked about the, the fact that you look at this picture right now, you see on one side, these are people with armed weapons and, and their issue was not about the government abusing them. Their issue was open up a barbershop, open up the beauty salons, open up the restaurants, let us go back to life. And they show up and, and illegally take over a government building with weapons. Typically when we see people who engage in such act, we don't call them protesters, we call them terrorists. The current occupant of 1600 uh, Pennsylvania Avenue refers to them as very fine people, uh, which he did in a tweet. They're, they're very fine people. They're just angry. The, the governor of Michigan should talk to them. But yet somehow in the picture next to it, 
unarmed peaceful protests are met with, as you see, tear gas and rubber bullets and slander from the resident at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue as thugs. There, there's this dichotomy that exists in America, this war and peace. Peace clearly for some, war for others. It's interesting that when we look at this, and I put these pictures in such a way that we, the Bible said, or, or Solomon said, there's a time for war and a time for peace. But when we see this picture, we see we are out of alignment because it is peace and war. It is not the same for us as it is for everybody else. It's this sleight of hand that there is some peace. And I don't know if some of us have been lulled into this belief that somehow or maybe some way that we are exactly the same as them. So we, we see that what the exists here in America is literal war on us. And pointing to this. The frustration comes from the list of all the deaths that occurred at the hands of law enforcement in which no one was convicted, no one paid the price. We literally have seen these men carry out state-sanctioned murder to no repercussions, which of course then leads to what happened last week where this man could, clearly he's not struggling either one, Brother Floyd or the cop. He's not fearing for his life. His hands are in his pocket. And in the video, you hear him even say, just get in the car. Just get in the car. He's talking calmly and rationally. We would call that in normal terms a sociopath, that you can remain this calm in the commission of a murder. He is a sociopathic person who is enabled by a system, paid by a system, and went out and wasn't planning to be arrested. I would even submit to you this morning that if uh, Minneapolis and the state of Minnesota had done what was right in the first place, we would not have seen the widespread damage that we have seen today. And all that would have taken, especially considering the charges that they filed against him days later, they should have arrested him when they first saw this video, charged him with this crime, and none of this would have happened. You might have had some protest in, uh, in Minneapolis, but it wouldn't have spread across the United States because we would have seen this man taken off in handcuffs and charged. And we actually, I don't think I've seen that video, so I don't even know if it exists. But what we see from America, this is the life for the black man. We've heard people say that, get your knee off my neck, and here we literally got this man with his knee on the neck of brother George Floyd, and we saw his life being taken from him. The problem that we've experienced as black people is that we have bought into the myth and the lie of people and pastors who would believe that we should just always be this docile, never say anything, roll over and take whatever life gives us. And I believe that was done systematically to keep us in control. 
This is why there are so many people who are anti-religion and particularly anti-Christian that say that this is not for me because my, my life does not allow me to take this kind of abuse. Uh, and here's one very famous theologian. His, his name was Martin Luther and he wrote this in a book. He said, for God Almighty has made our rulers mad. They actually think they can do and order their subjects to do whatever they please. He wrote this in 1522. Martin Luther was a Catholic priest who rebelled against the Catholic Church for what he saw as abuses of power because at the time that he lived, the Pope was the ruler of the world for everybody, for all intents and purposes. He was a powerful man. He ruled armies. And the, 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 the Catholic Church owned so much, which is why they still have so much money, because they literally owned the world at one point in time. And Martin Luther rebelled against that, and he didn't like the abuse that he saw of the people. And he proposed this idea of active resistance. That is your godly right to actively resist evil that is being in, uh, in put upon you. He, Martin Luther is where they get the term the Lutheran Church because when he broke away from the uh, broke off from the Catholic Church and he started this movement, it became the Lutheran Church that we know today. But in 1522, he is advocating the people engage in active resistance against unjust laws and unfair rules. And somehow along the line, we have been. Led to believe that we are supposed to be placated, docile, and and uh, 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 never to resist the this that scripture uh, that we are to respect authority has been shoved down our throats so far that we have just taken it, forgetting the fact that God does not create us to be doormats. I mean, even when we have read the Bible and seen that when, when uh, Peter and, uh, was arrested and he was in jail, uh, the, when he appeared before the, the Sanhedrin, he said, are we supposed to follow God or are we supposed to follow man? He was actively resisting and we have missed that completely because we have been fed generation after generation after generation that we are supposed to obey the rules and obey our leaders. Now, we know we supposed to be a people of order, but we also know that we have to follow God's law and not man's law. See, there, there's this idea that we have uh, uh, put in our heads that we have accepted injustice so much as a way of life, we have mistaken it for peace. This is just a way of life for us. So because we know this is the way it is, we are living in peace times when in fact it is not peace. It is actually war that has been happening to us. War has been levied, has been declared on black men, and we have just accepted it as a way of life. And what we have seen because of the time we have COVID-19 hit, we had Ahmaud Arbery, and then we have George Floyd, and all of this just added up for the perfect storm. The shelter in place has people frustrated. Their minds are not in the right place. We have all this pent-up tension, and then you visibly witness injustice. It is the perfect storm for something to ignite, something to happen to cause people to respond 
and in in various ways. I mean, you think about this. They're looting and rioting in Beverly Hills. We had heard over the years, why are you guys burning up your own community? Well, last, yesterday, it wasn't our community that was burning up. And I, 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 I people sending me DMs, and why are you pointing out about the looters and, you know, thugs come in all colors. And I said, I agree. And I know thugs are not necessarily what uh, uh, black people, anybody can be a thug. But we also know that when you hear the resident at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue refer to thugs, there is automatic image that comes to mind. And it wasn't the people we saw standing on top of the buses. It wasn't the people we saw running out of Target and Nordstrom's. But we know that they are thugs, but we know that the word thug does not always mean what it should. And I have to point that out. I have to point out that we are not burning up our community. You are burning and tearing up your own Melrose Avenue. And the other part, we know we have a history in the United States of these people infiltrating these riot or pro uh, protests for the purposes of instigating a riot. We saw the man in Minneapolis walking through fully clothed with a face mask on before anything erupted, smashing the windows of AutoZone and then walking away when people came up to confront him. Uh, we've seen the people, the photographs of the people who are supposed to be out there participating in the protest wearing their police issue boots, the image of handcuffs thrown in their back pocket, uh, a little blue bracelet along their wrist so that the police can identify them as their own and not uh, a part of the crowd. We saw a video or the tape, yeah it was video, of an undercover cop who was infiltrating a riot that when he uh, had to uh, uh, jump on somebody, pulled out his gun, threatening to shoot people. We've seen uh, the police arrest a reporter on live TV, doing his job, not participating in, in the protest, covering the protest, he and his crew arrested while the crew that was next to him doing the same thing was unarrested. The governor of, Minneapolis, governor of Minnesota was apologizing for that this morning. But what was the difference between the two crews? War and peace. Solomon further wrote in verse 16, he said, moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. This is the, the life of where we are. There's supposed to be judgment, but there's wickedness. There's supposed to be righteousness and there's iniquity. How is it that you chase down a man, hunt him down on video and murder him in the street and for three months you walk around free. How is it that you hear a man crying for his life? <laughs> calling out to his dead mother. And you sit there with your hands in your pocket. And then moreover. 
don't get arrested or charged until you realize people are not standing for this. There is a duality of war and peace that exists here. A duality where we live and it flows with the dual nature that it seems that God has, has created for us. That we battle against spirit and flesh. It is always good and evil. It is some, something about this duality that we have to choose aside. And choose for you, as Joshua said, choose for you this day who you will serve. Are you going to serve the gods back in Egypt? Or are you going to serve the God who brought you out of Egypt? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's always this duality, right and wrong, good and evil, war and peace. And we see this duality in the nature of a man that, that probably is more dual than any of us, but he is referred to as a man after God's own heart. We know him as David. But even before that, and Jesus even told us in, in Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. This duality that we are presented with. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. How do you bring those two together? How do you reconcile those for the, uh, in the life of the Christian? How do you reconcile the war that has been levied against its own citizens and to maintain a level of peace? I don't have the answer for that, but what I do know that when we talk about David, we say that he is a man after God's own heart. And a lot of people will just simply say he's a man after God's own heart simply because he always praised God and he always repented for his sins. There was nobody that was a, a, a greater worshiper of God than David. There was also it appears to be nobody who was a greater sinner than David and consequently when he repented he repented like nobody else's business he would have his times of sadness and mourning when his son died because of his sin but then when it was time to turn that off and become a praiser he would praise and worship God we know that he was a worshiper he was a musician he was a lyricist but here's the thing that none of us ever talk about as far as him being a man after God's own heart David was a warrior Yes, he was a, the boy that could sit there and play the music. And, and we know that he served uh, Saul as a bring, playing music to calm Saul, uh, Saul down. It, it calmed his nerves. That's, that's what David did before he ascended to the throne of the king of Israel. He was a servant to Saul by playing his instruments. But David was also a warrior. The dual nature, the, the artist and the fighter. Or the fighter and the artist, because before we knew him as a worshiper, we knew him as a warrior. Right after he was anointed king by, by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, we see him in 1 Samuel 17 doing what he had done for the majority of his life, battle and kill. And this is the, the famous battle when the Philistine army was coming in to attack Israel. They, they were mocking Israel. They had tried to make Israel subject to them. And here comes little David bringing some food to his brothers and sees that everybody, the entire 
Israeli army was paralyzed in the face of what they saw in, in Goliath. And then we see in the battle, they try to give David the armor, but he doesn't take their armor. He takes what God has given him. He is equipped only with what God has. A slingshot, and they said he grabbed five smooth stones. He sat there questioning, why are you letting this uncircumcised Philistine? He's criticizing the Israeli army and criticizing the Philistines. This un He's insulting them, this uncircumcised Philistine. But as he throws the, 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 the sling, he, run, he runs towards the trouble. He runs towards the battle. But you read that, that in 1 Samuel 17, he is running towards Goliath. He starts slinging that, that stone around and he fires it and hits uh, Goliath in the middle of his forehead. And Goliath falls to the ground. And we find these words in verse 51 because the Goliath hadn't died. It just knocked him down and maybe knocked him out. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out and <clears throat> out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. From that war, from the wars that David fought, came peace. He ran to the battle. And what we're seeing happening now are some people, whether they believe it or not, whether they are acting on it or not, are in the, the Davids running to the battle over the Philistine army that is oppressing a segment of this population. We see that David wrote in Psalm 144.1, Blessed be the Lord my rock, praising God, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. We are fighters. We are warriors. David was a warrior. He was a musician. And he was a warrior. Warriors fight for what is right. Warriors stand up for injustice. We see it time and time again in the Bible where he says, learn to do justice. We are not supposed to sit here and accept peace and, or think that we, because we have accepted life this way that that is peace or some semblance of peace. That is not the way. The same God that David praised for preparing his hands for battle also gave him those same hands to play music. The dual nature, the hands to use to play these instruments and make him a gifted musician were the same hands that he used for war. And what we see are people who are accepting and recognizing that they are prepared for war. Now, some of them out there are just out there to create a problem. But for those of us who are, I, I think I'm really speaking to those who are looking at this with this mindset that that's just a shame. They shouldn't be out there doing that. Well, of course they shouldn't be out there doing that. But then George Floyd shouldn't have died in the street. Tamir Rice shouldn't have died in a park. Philando Castile shouldn't have died in his car. 
Sandra Bland should have made it to the school where she was going to be a professor. We can go on and on with these things back and forth, but the bottom line is there has been a war that we just haven't been participating in. We have set by and allowed these things to happen. Somebody put on social media, why are all these people standing around filming this and no one interjecting themselves into this to stop them from murdering this man. Now, of course, there are many of us who are sitting here, we're safe at home, and we can look at that and say, they'll make those criticisms because we weren't there on the front line. Interceding yourself, interjecting yourself into a situation like that could mean your life. But if we'd seen what happened in downtown Los, Los Angeles yesterday, and I'm not advocating that, when a policeman got out and tried to accost somebody, the people swarmed on him. I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying that there are people who are now saying these hands are not just to film camera or film footage of police abuse, these hands are supposed to be actively engaging to prevent you from killing my brother. One thing David did, and he acknowledged, he praised God for who he is. He said, God is our rock. Before he did anything else, before he even goes to battle, he talks about the goodness of God. God is our rock. Our rock is our goodness, our fortress. Uh, we have the power to work and we have power for warfare. We have power to do the work of righting the wrongs to get rid of injustice and we have the, uh, the power to fight against injustice, to fight against unfair laws, against systematic issues that prevent us from living our full life. Friend of mine, colleague of mine, soon to probably be ex-friend of mine, put posted a video on my timeline. And you know, you always find one black person that'll sit there and side with the enemy. And he, he's complaining that why are we so mad about the, any black person being killed or accosted by police. And the typical argument is always uh, either there's black on black crime, you, you're not worried about that. Well, the fact of the matter is every race commits crimes against their own race, period. White, nobody uses the concept white on white crime, but the most white people are uh, crimes against white people are done by white people. Crimes against Latin Americans are committed by Latin Americans. Crimes against Asians are committed by Asians. But yet the phen phenomenon of black on black crime is, is a big deal. Then he said, the, you know, bringing up the statistics about uh, how much more likely this is a black man how more likely a black man is to commit a crime. And I told the dude, why did you post this on my page? Why would you think that I would even enjoy or entertain this? Uh, you know, because this idea, we know that black people commit crimes. And maybe if you skew the statistics the right way, it will show that we commit crime at a higher rate than everybody else. 
but they never talk about the fact that there are laws and the systematic things that exist to keep black people from, number one, getting the same education, getting the same jobs, having the same access to loans and affordable housing, to have same access to medical care, and the unfair, you want to talk about some statistics, the statistics of which black men and women are incarcerated for the same crimes as white folks get higher sentences. They get sentenced at a higher rate for the same crimes, even for the people with the same police records. A person with one misdemeanor, another person with a misdemeanor commits a crime. This one might get probation. The other one gets five years in prison. And because you have all these people over here getting uh, convicted at a higher rate, getting higher sentences at a higher rate, and the inability to get jobs and education, what do you leave them except crime? and they commit the crime where they live and affect the people who look like them. And you want to point this out but not deal with the issues that put them in that place in addition to the prisons for high for profit uh, that need a steady flow of inventory. And then we have, what do we see in the news, a judge who was convicted for sending young boys to these private prisons for bonuses. But you don't want to talk about that. As warriors, we are warriors. In verse 1b, he says, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battles. God knew that we were going to have to fight not just a spiritual battle, but we have to fight a battle of the flesh here on earth. He said in Psalm 94, 16, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? When God is calling us to go out and do something, not just simply roll over, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? That was an evil act that we saw of this policeman uh, with his knee on the neck of Brother George Floyd. That was an evil act of tracking and stalking Ahmad Arbery and videotaping it. If you didn't know the man who, who, who did the videotape was originally crying on the news about how his life has changed and he's, he, there are people I can't even go home. I'm afraid for my life. But he was with them when they attacked Ahmad. He was actually the one that caused him to run the way they sit around his car, whatever way they're using to justify killing him because he had a gun and he was supposed to block his, when he, if he turned around, his role was to block him off and engage him there before they could come back with the truck. Which then leads to the question, why are you out there videotaping this? Because you certainly weren't videotaping it to uh, uh, prove Ahmad uh, was being a victim of, of a crime. I saw it as you got it or you videotaped it as a trophy that you and your friends would be able to watch over and over again of you hunting, stalking, and murdering this black man in the street. See, what we've seen yesterday is this fight. I'm sorry, my wife just gave me the cut it signal. Uh, Chris told me this yesterday. Everybody is angry because it ain't no fun when the rabbit has the gun. 
See, when things are turned around, people want to change. But here we are in this dichotomy of war and peace. I told you I was struggling with this. I didn't know how to approach this. I didn't know how to really get this out. I was struggling. I believe y'all are probably struggling along with me. But um, we kind of made it through, I guess. We have to continue to trust God, everybody. And it's okay for us to be angry. And it is okay for us to be hurt. But we also have to remember that our role is not to lay down and roll over. It is to fight. Because we are warriors. So as we pray for our nation and we pray for the souls, we pray for this, this, this place to take on a different posture. And we might have to be the people who let people know this is how it is, but we also cannot be doormats. We have to make the change today. Start looking at things differently. Start behaving differently, but more so start seeking God consistently. If the wisest man in the world tells us to seek God and to seek his wisdom, he wrote it in Proverbs that God will give us wisdom if we seek it. So let's seek the wisdom of God to help us exist in this dual nature. Our God and our Father, we thank you and we praise you. We lift your name on high. We ask God of the healing and the restoration that we need. But before that, we need to see a change. But more than anything else, God, we just simply ask that your will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. In Jesus' name.